Well, I'm excited this morning. It, uh, it's an awesome privilege today to have someone with us today. Some of you will remember him, not very many, because not very many of you left around here from Old Bethel, but uh, Kyle Bateman back in the late 80s, early 90s, probably from about 88 to 91, uh, was a youth pastor of, of this church and, and well-loved and uh, a student, I think, at Southwestern at the time. And uh, he's one of the longer-tenured youth pastors back in the day. Uh, I understand back in the day you could go through youth pastors and worship pastors about every six months to a year. That's what I'm told. And, uh, but he stayed around for three years. You must have been pretty tough, Kyle. Uh, I first met Kyle probably back in about 1979 or 80. Uh, he uh, attended First Assembly of God in Pampa, Texas, just a kid in the youth group, and my wife and I became pastors of Calvary Assembly in, in Pampa, and God blessed our church, and our church grew and, and uh, had an in- incredible youth group. And even though First Assembly was much larger than us, our youth group was much larger than First Assemblies. And uh, so Kyle would go to youth camp and all that with his church, but then he would hitch a ride with us to go again when we went, a lot of rallies with us, and uh, got connected with, with Kyle back in the day. Uh, he is presently uh, pastoring in uh, um, Wichita Falls, and just doing an outstanding, outstanding job. The church is growing, and and God is just incredibly using his ministry. But I'm not going to steal his thunder today, but but God has uh, led him also into an incredible, incredible ministry called Phased In. Uh, A couple of months ago, he presented this ministry at one of our uh, minister's fellowships, and I'm just going to tell you that God just broke my heart. Uh, God just absolutely broke my heart uh, when he gave his presentation. And, uh, and I felt the Lord speak to me and say, you need to bring Kyle to the church. And, and I felt the Lord speak to me, you need to raise $20,000 for this ministry. So this is Father's Day, and I also, I walked out, you know, kind of struggling with that and, you know, a little bit, and... Uh, and, and then the Lord spoke to me and said, I want you to do it on Father's Day. And I thought, wow, wow, Father's Day. You know, Father's Day, listen, I wear a lot of hats, a lot of hats. But I want to tell you that one of the favorite hats that I wear is the hat of a father. I love being a father. And, you know, I thought, wow. Wow, this is super cool, super cool to bring someone in with this ministry, and you'll understand in just a moment, on Father's Day. Because let me tell you that this is what fathers do, genuine godly fathers. They protect and they provide for kids. And that's what this ministry is all about, and you'll understand a little more as Pastor Kyle comes. Amen. So, so when you go to lunch and you see friends from other churches and they say, well, what did you get for Father's Day from your church? You can tell them, we got the opportunity of giving $20,000. No, you can tell them, we got the opportunity of really genuinely being fathers. Amen. Kyle, brother, Pastor Kyle, would you come? Amen. Would you make uh, Pastor Kyle welcome this morning? Take your liberty in the Lord. I'm excited you're here, man. Thank you, Pastor Mike. 
Let me start off by saying it's an honor to be able to come back home and to see so many uh, wonderful faces that poured into my life when I was just a skinny little youth pastor. I wish I was still skinny, but uh, in fact, I feel like a youth pastor today. I see so many faces and, and brings back so many great memories that you loved on us. And uh, when I was youth pastor at Bethel from the late 80s to early 90s, you took care of a, a young guy that had no idea what he was doing. And I still don't have any idea what I'm doing, but I'm a little bit older and a little bit longer in the tooth now. And uh, I was just, I was thinking today on all the great memories as I was driving over here. Patty and I got married at Bethel 25 years ago. Uh, two weeks ago was our 25th anniversary. So we, we were there uh, a long time ago. And so it's no wonder there's very few left. But thank you to those of you that poured into our lives. I want to say one thing before I get started. If you're a first-time guest here or if you've, you've just shown up today, make sure that you come back next Sunday because you need to hear the father of this house preach. Uh, I'll be able to, you know, blow smoke for a little while and be able to do what I'm doing, but you got to hear Mike Benson, one of my heroes. Mike and Don Benson have been heroes of mine for a long time. You have one of the greatest pastors and greatest fathers in the world right here to oversee you, and it is a... It is an honor to be able to come back. Not only does this church have great pastors, you've got a great staff. Uh, Sean and Krista, you guys are, are awesome. And to see what has happened. I walked in here, I'm like, man, this ain't Bethel anymore. Thing, things have changed. We have, we have progressed. And it's awesome to, to feel the spirit of this house. If you're looking for a church, stop looking. Uh, this is home. You'll be loved here. You'll be taken care of here. This is a place where you can get planted and you can grow. Let's give the Lord a big ovation this morning. Amen. Well, I'm just going to rev it up and preach like I normally do. So I don't know a, a second or third gear. Several years ago when I was a youth pastor at Bethel, an awesome man by the name of Randy Woods gave me uh, his car for a while. It was an old beat-up Mustang. And he said, I don't even know if it will run, but I know you need a car. And it was an awesome car. We got it to run. The only thing is it didn't have a second gear. And so you had to really get on that first gear for a long time before you could bring it into third. I'm kind of like that when I preach. I don't really have a second gear. I just go right into stealth mode when we get into it. But I'm going to share with you a little bit from the Word of God and the vision of Phased In. I was uh, in Phoenix, Arizona about five, five years ago. I know that Sean and Krista were real involved, sowed a lot into that ministry out there at Phoenix First Assembly. I was at the pastor's school, and I wasn't going to go because I go every year. I know all the workshops. I could teach them probably better than the people that are teaching them. I've got them all memorized. Heard a lot of the speakers speak before, and I wasn't going to go. But I started praying, and the Lord said, you need to go. I'm going to do something in your life that you need to be there for. And my wife confirmed it by saying, you need to go to Phoenix this year. I've been praying. The Lord showed me you need to go there. Nobody else from our church was going. So I thought, well, I better be obedient to the Lord. Well, I knew very quickly the second night of the of the meeting that uh, I was why I was supposed to be there when I heard Matthew and Caroline Barnett get up and share about a new ministry they were starting to emancipated foster youth. Now, I have two beautiful children. They are both adopted. My son Luke is 18 years old. My daughter Natalie, who's spoiled rotten, is 14 years old. And they are the apples of my eye. I want every one of you to get to meet them sometime. They are, they are awesome. They are, they are from Haiti. They're from the nation of Haiti. So they are not of the Caucasian persuasion. So we get some interesting looks when I'm like, this is my son, this is my daughter. One time my son scored five goals in a soccer game against the All-Star team and tied the All-Star team. And the All-Star team's coach came over and said, who's number 14's dad? And I went, right here. And he went, no, number 14. 
not any of the white kids, number 14. I'm like, right here. And he's like, okay, can we get your son on our team? And I'm like, sure. So uh, we get some interesting looks. But, uh, you know, I, I love adoption. Adoption is my thing. But I got to tell you, I never once put any thought to the question of whatever happens to the kids who don't get adopted. It is one of the most heartbreaking things that is happening in our nation today. When I heard Matthew and Caroline Barnett get up, and Caroline particularly telling a story about how they were feeding homeless people in downtown Los Angeles, and a white van pulled up all the time when they were feeding people and began to drop off wide-eyed-looking teenagers with a trash bag in their hand. And these teenagers looking around, I don't know, they, they've probably been to downtown Los Angeles and Skid Row. There's only one word to describe that place. It is hell. It is the worst place you can imagine. And to see teenagers dropped off in the middle of hell with no place to go, finally Caroline sent one of the workers over to knock on the window of this unmarked van and said, Who are you and why are you dropping these kids off in the middle of Skid Row? Well, the van driver rolled down the window and said, We're California CPS. Today's their 18th birthday. They have phased out of foster care. The foster family doesn't get any more money after today. They've got nowhere to go. The homeless shelter's filled up. So we bring them here. So they decided, we got to do something. I heard this, and I said, that cannot be possible. The next day of that conference, I'm sitting around eating lunch, and I see a crowd of young people. I'm eating with one of my friends, and I overhear, I eavesdrop. I'm a good eavesdropper. And I, I could hear a conversation going on. I heard someone say, foster care and adoption. And I began to just inch my chair closer to the conversation. And I heard a young girl giving her testimony that haunts me to this day. She was telling the story of how she grew up in the foster care system and how she dreamed one day that she would get adopted. She said, I remember being 11, 12, 13 years old thinking, my mom is looking for me. My dad is looking for me. They're looking for me, and I'm looking for them, and we're going to find each other, and we're going to have a home. We're going to have a family. We're going to get to be together. She said even when she got to be 13, 14, she was an artist, and in school she would draw pictures and she would draw a picture of a handsome man, and her friend would say, who's that? And she'd say, that's what my dad's going to look like. He's going to walk me down the aisle when I get married. He's going to protect me. He's going to be handsome. I'm going I'm, I'm to be the apple of his eye. He's just going to love me. And then she'd draw a picture of a beautiful lady, and she'd nudge her friend and say, and that's what my mom's going to look like. She's going to tuck me in at night. When I'm sick, she's going to take care of me. She's going to give me the talk. We're going to be an awesome family. And finally, her friend would lean over and say, look, you're, you're a teenager. Nobody... Nobody wants to adopt teenagers, but she never gave up. And with time she was 15, 16, even 17 years old, she still held on to that dream that they were looking for her and she was looking for them. And one day she said, I bought a calendar and I marked the day of my 18th birthday many months in advance. And she got a pen out and she said, I said, that's it. I've got till then to find them and they've got till then to find me. And then she tells the story of waking up on the morning of her 18th birthday walking into the bathroom, wiping the sleep out of her eyes, looking in the mirror and saying out loud, well, it looks like nobody wanted you. She went downstairs and her foster family said, hey, what are you going to do? We don't get any more money after today. You've got to find a place to go. You can't stay here. She had no place to go. Luckily, the Dream Center found her, took her in, gave her hope, and now she's doing great. But I heard that story and I said, this is wrong as wrong can be. All I could see was my daughter's face when that girl was telling her story. What if I had never been to a little village in Cabaret, Haiti, and saw a beautiful little girl that was malnourished, that had flies all around her, that, that had uh, 
scabs on her face that was breaking out that had no one to love her. What if I had never found her? See, I didn't even know. I was looking for my daughter, and she was looking for me. But these kids, many of them, they don't have anybody looking for them, but they, they believe somebody is out there searching for them. I heard these stories, and I said, I've got to do something. We're either going to sow into that ministry big time, and, and I believe this. Before you can go, you've got to sow. I believe today we are about to partner. The Grace Place Church is about to become a key partner on the ground floor of protecting the unprotected, not only in the state of Texas, but there are phased ins that are about to be established all over the country and all over the world. There's so many amazing things happening. But I, I said, we've got to do something. So I began to pray. I didn't even tell my wife. And then after God gave me the release, I, I began to meet with state officials. And I said, what's happening here in Texas? A guy was at that meeting. He said, Pastor Kyle, I'm the guy who drives the van here in Texas. I'm the guy who picks them up on their 18th birthday. I'm the one that sees those garbage bags. I'm the one that says, where do I take you? I'm the one that if the homeless shelters are, are full, I'm the one that says, well, can you go to a park bench? Can you go to, a, to sleep on the streets? It is the most wrong thing that there is. So from that, we came up with a vision to put together not just a program, not just part of the system, but a family to adopt the ones who never got adopted. So when kids come to Phased In, when they're 18 to 21 years old, and we'll even bring them in older than that, even younger than that, we started a, a, a program called Phased In Genesis where we're bringing in kids before they turn 18. And you ought to see, we've got three girls on the Dallas campus. You ought to see these girls when, when they hear somebody wants them. Somebody wants to adopt them. It gives them hope. It gives them their dreams back. And so it's just been an incredible vision. In a little bit, we're just going to all come together, and we're going to believe God for a miracle to happen right here at the Grace Place. Y'all ready to preach with me today? If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 3, verse 4 through 6. Again, it is good to be home. It is good to see so many family and friends. I know I've got a time limit. I'd preach all day if I could. I just, I love to preach. It's like telling a pit bull, sick them when you tell me to preach. I love just... It's what I, what I love to do. The book of Hebrews, to me, is an awesome book in the Bible. It is, to me, a very complex book. I used to have to read a chapter three or four times before I can begin to process it. But I was reading chapter three of the book of Hebrews as I was preparing for this message today. And God gave me a word entitled, From Servant to Son. Many of us as Christians still hold on to a servant mentality when God wants us to step into a son or a daughter mentality. Knowing that we are part of his family. We are heirs of God. And we are joint heirs with Jesus. We're not just servants. Isn't it wild that the story of the prodigal son, whenever the prodigal comes to his senses, he's in the hog pen, he's feeding the, 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 the pigs, and he looks at the food that the pigs are eating, he says, man, that looks good. I wish I wouldn't have blown all my money on the wine, the women, and the song. I got nothing left. And Man, that hog food is looking good. So the first thing he thinks is, maybe I could go back and be my father's servant. But he was never intended to be servant. He was intended to be son. You were never intended to just sit on a church pew and hope you fit in and do what must be done. You were meant to be a part of this family, this body, this house. You have a seat at the table. You are part of royalty. You may be royalty in exile right now, but it's time to get back on the throne. It's time to become the son and daughter of God that you were intended to be. The Bible says this in verse 4. For every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house, bearing witness to what would be spoken by God in the future. But Christ 
is faithful as the son over God's house. And I love these next few words. And we are his house. If indeed we hold firmly to the confidence and the hope in which we glory. Father, I thank you that today we are going to lose that servant mindset, and we are going to take on a son and a daughter mindset, knowing that you are God the Father, that you love us, that you've sacrificed for us, that you have protected us, that, Lord, when we didn't even know you were there, you were watching over us. You were taking care of us. You were that unseen hand. You were that one that diverted us from disaster. You were the one that kept us during the tough times. Even when we didn't give you all the thanks and all the praise, you were still working on our behalf. And today, Lord, we give you all the glory and all the praise. And I pray that today we see you as the good, good father that you are, that always loves his children, that always provides for us. We give you all the praise, all the glory, and all the honor in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I got to tell you, when I was growing up, I was raised in a broken home, a single-parent home. My mom worked two, three jobs to put bread on the table. We lived in a little trailer house before we moved to Pampa in Whitney, Texas. I still go by there every now and then and see that I lived in the, the hood, the projects of this little... We lived on the wrong side of the wrong side of the tracks. And I remember seeing all my buddies and their dads would come to their football games, and my dad was never there. I never had a father that was involved in my life. He left when, we were, when I was in third grade, and I never really saw him much after that until I went to his funeral in 1986. And I remember thinking, man, it'd be cool to have a dad. It'd be awesome to have a father. It'd be awesome to have somebody that could teach me how to do things. And when I grew up, man, I grew up po'. We, were, we weren't poor. We was po'. We, we couldn't afford the last O-R. <laughs> That's how Poe we were. Anybody else? Anybody there? Anybody else grow up Poe? I remember going over to my friend's house and making peanut butter sandwiches, and I noticed something wild about their peanut butter. It was like Skippy and Jif. And I'm like, man, my peanut butter only has two words on it, peanut and butter. Come on, you all know what I'm talking about. When the government brings you the, you know, it had the nasty oil at the top, and I'm like, wow. And I said, man, you guys have GIF. And my buddies say, yeah, choosy mothers choose GIFs. And I said, yeah, but Poe mamas choose peanut butter. So I knew what it was like growing up poor. Even when I worked at Bethel, Lord knows I did not get paid very much when I worked at Bethel. Not that I'm still hanging on to that. I have let it go a little bit. But I remember Brother Savage would sometimes see me and say, why are you wearing green socks? Remember, y'all, y'all remember back in the day, he would make fun of my green socks. I'm like, man, it's all they had at the Goodwill. That's all they had at the Salvation Army. Seriously, that's where I eat. Brother Savage said, if you're going to be on staff here, you've got to wear suits on Sunday. And I'm like, what's a suit? I went down to Goodwill and I said, y'all got anything close to what my size is? So I knew what it was like to not have much and yet to be happy and yet to be content. I know that today, our generation, we've got to have this. We got, everything's got to be instant. We've got to have everything the way we want it, exactly right. Got special order, everything. Man, I'm just, I'm just happy to be here. Y'all remember Minnie Pearl? I'm just so thankful to be here. That's the way I am. I'm just happy that, I've made, that God has watched over me and protected me. But I'll tell you what, there was a time when I thought all I, all I could do was be a servant. Where I had this mentality that God would love me more if I served him more. 
if I accomplished more, that would please him more. That was when I, I, I knew about God's word. I was going to Bible college, but I didn't really know his heart. Today we are going to go on a journey that leads from servanthood to sonship or, or daughterhood. The first place we're going to go along this journey, number one, if you're taking notes, today we're going on a journey that, number one, leads to the Father's house. I love this scripture. For every house is built by someone, and we are God's house. Is it okay if I come down here a little bit? I know, man, I don't, I don't preach like T.D. Jakes, but I sweat like T.D. Jakes, so I've got to do a little bit of this. I don't do a get ready, get ready, get ready. I just get ready. And so I'm going to get down here with you today, and we're going to preach this thing together. God's house. Now, this, I came in today, and I'm like, this ain't Bethel no more. This house is incredible. This church building is amazing. What God has done here under the leadership of a visionary pastor, I'm going to tell you something. It's amazing to see where God's taken you from and taken you to. This is an awesome house. I said it earlier. If you're looking for a house to get planted, it isn't all about just watching Christian television and reading books and thinking, well, listen, if you want to be established, if you want to grow, you've got to get planted in God's house. And if you get planted in this house, you're going to grow. There is opportunity here for you to discover your destiny. When we work with these kids from Phased In and they come to us, or many times we go to them, I want you to know I picked up young men on a park bench. I picked up one young man that when I found him, he, had, he was bloody and beat up. He said, man, I wish you'd have got here yesterday. I got mugged last night waiting for somebody to come get me. We pick up kids that have no homes. They have no backgrounds. We have one young man in our program that was in 24 different foster homes. When you ask him, where are you from, he's like, where am I not from? I've been all over. They don't have a sense of belonging. We have kids that come in that are 18 years old, and they have the development skills of a 10 or 11-year-old. Many of them have had traumatic events in their life. And many times they stop growing at the time they have that traumatic event. And so they, they don't know what having a home is like. One of the, the things that we've decided we're going to do with Phased In is it's not going to be a system. It's not going to be a program. It's going to be a house. It's going to be a family. We tell the guys, we say, meet your brothers. You're going to grow together. When we have our girls, a little girls campus in Dallas. We're dreaming for a girls campus in Wichita Falls. And, and you guys are going to sew into that today. We get calls all the time from CPS leaders and workers saying, man, we need you to get that girls dorm ready because we've got daughters for you that, that are just out there. They've got nowhere to go. Many of them are sleeping on their boyfriend's couch. They're, they're in bad situations. They need a house. They need a place. And we've got a dream to build a girls dorm that is going to be awesome. I wish all of you could come to Wichita Falls and see our guys' dorm. It is the best thing going in the state of Texas. We had the commissioner of CPS, Judge Specia, come out for a tour. And we asked, I said, Judge Specia, I'm telling everybody that whether it's Christian, secular, whatever, I'm telling everybody we got the nicest facility in the state of Texas. And he looked at me and he said, well, Kyle, you can go right on telling people that because we've never had anything like this. He said, you have made this a home. You have made this a house. You have made this a place where these young men come in and they feel like they belong. They feel like they're welcome. I want to tell you, there are some of you here today that you still feel like an outsider, sometimes even when you come to church. Sometimes when you get around God's people because you just haven't found your place. And sometimes we think, well, if I serve enough, if I do enough. Serving is the fruit of a, of a son. The best servants are the sons and daughters that know who they are in Christ and know who Christ is in them. And then the servant part of it, that's just the fruit. We get to serve. That's just, you know, an expression of what's going on, what God's done. 
What God has done with Phased In is he has given us a love for these kids that many of them have never been loved. If you go on our website, you'll see a young man named Brandon give his testimony. We got a cool video on there. And at the end of the video, he says, my favorite part about Phased In is when Pastor Kyle tells me I'm awesome. He says, because where I come from, nobody ever told me I was awesome. He even told me, he said, I didn't even believe you the first few times you told me that. Listen, when you got a father speaking into your life, telling you how much they love you, how much they believe, that can make all the difference in the world. Many of the kids that, that come out of CPS, they can have free college. They can go to college for free. They just don't know it. 3% of the kids who phase out of foster care will graduate college. 3%. And yet it's paid for. People ask, why is that? Why don't they take advantage of that? Because they don't have anyone that believes in them, that encourages them, that says you can do it, that when they feel like giving up says don't give up, don't quit. They still got this servant mentality of, well, if I, if I just do my chores, if I just follow the, all the, the rules, then I can make it. No, you got to know who you are before you realize what you can do. I think it's the key to victory. Some of you are struggling with addictions in your life. Some of you are going through battles of temptation that keeps getting you every single time. And part of the reason you haven't overcome that yet is because you haven't really discovered yet who you are. Who you are in Christ and who Christ is in you. Some of you, if you can get that revelation, if you can catch that vision, it will set you free. When you know that you got a father that loves you, that believes in you, that died for you, that sent his son to die for you, that even now is at the right hand father for you, even now is praying on your behalf. When you got somebody in your corner, that means you, you know you've got a house where you belong. And I want every one of you to know here today, this, I love this house. I mean, I love Grace Place. I've, if I lived anywhere close to here, this would be my church home because I feel the love here. This is a place, but, but as much as this is God's house, What's even more than this being God's house? This is God's house. You're the temple of the Holy Spirit. You're the place where He dwells. And He wants to build you up. So today, let's go on a journey and let's discover what kind of house God wants to build through us. Amen? Can I get a good amen? Can I get a whoo? Can I get a Ric Flair? Whoo! Can I get a little Richard? Whoo! Oh, y'all are good. Amen. I'm not going to ask for an Arkansas Razorback pig suey, but we might get one of those. You never know. But I love the scripture says, for every house is built by someone. I'm going to ask you another tough question. Who's building your house? Is the internet building your house? Is the media building your house? Are other, see, you're the house who's laying the foundation, who's putting up the walls, who's putting on the additions. What does your house look like? Your house looks like today whoever you're allowing to build it. And if you're allowing any other influence other than the influence of God to build who you are, that's probably why you haven't gotten very far. God wants to build you. He wants to get His Word in you. He wants to get His worship in you. He wants to get praise in you. He wants to get good relationships inside of you. What comes out is all dependent upon what goes in. So I want to ask you today, who's building that house? Who has contracted that house? Who is the architect of that house? If there's somebody that's building your house or some influence or some spirit that's building your house that shouldn't be building your house, it's time to kick that spirit out. And it is time to let God be the, guild, the builder of the house that you are. Can somebody give the Lord some praise today?
Number two, we're going on a journey that's going to the Father's house, but we're also going on a journey that leads to the Father's heart. You know what I find incredible about the story of the prodigal son? You know, little brother had taken everything that the father had given him, all the inheritance, and he said, I'm out of here. I am going to, I'm going to take this money and I'm going to blow it. I am going to wine, women, salt. I'm going to partay. I'm going to have a good time. I'm going to make it rain. Woo! It's going to be awesome. That didn't last very long. It didn't rain for too long. And when the rain stopped, he realized he had nowhere to go. He had to get whatever kind of job he could get. And again, he comes to his senses and the hog man says, maybe I can go home. Man, my dad's got workers that are doing better than I am. And then he begins that journey back home. When he comes home, there is an amazing reaction that happens from the father that says, this son of mine that was lost is now found. He was dead, now he's alive. But there's also another reaction that happens from Big Brother. And Big Brother's like, wait a minute. I have been faithful. I have not strayed. I did not make it rain. I have been faithful with everything the Father gave me. And now this little brother that blew everything, he just comes back and he gets the fatted calf. He gets the sandals. He gets the ring. He gets the robe. Come on, this ain't right. I want you to know the story of the prodigal is not the story of one child coming home. It's a story of two prodigals coming home. One who was away from his father's house and another who was away from his father's heart. See, one thing I've learned, you could be smack dab in the middle of God's house and far away from God's heart. Now, when I was at Bethel years ago, I used to bring sinners into the church because I knew that was the heart of God. Sometimes Brother Savage would be like, where did you get this drunk guy? Like, There's a drunk guy sleeping behind there. One time Brother Savage was so alarmed, he came and he said, uh, Kyle, uh, uh, do you know this, uh, this man who smells like alcohol? I'm like, yeah, I led him to the Lord, told him to come to church. He's here. One time we were out on the street. I went with a group of guys from Bible College, and we were down in Cedar Springs in Dallas. It was, I think, Halloween night, and we went to the homosexual community, and we're just telling people about Jesus. We're loving on people. We're encouraging people. We're, one guy was dressed up like the church lady. Remember Saturday Night Live, the church lady? And, and he was going out carrying a Bible. One of, my Bible, one of my buddies walked up and said, hey, man, you want a real Bible? And the church lady said, this is a real Bible. And then they began to talk, and my buddy was letting this guy have it. And I said, back off. I said, hey, man, we're just, we're just telling people about God. We don't know what we're doing, but we want you to know that if you don't know Jesus, he loves you and he died for you. Well, I began talking with this guy, and he says, you know, you're different. He says, where do you go to church? I said, way over in Arlington, Bethel Assembly of God. I'm the youth pastor there. He says, oh, okay. Well, anyway, Sunday morning, I show up, and there's a guy sitting on the back row. Handsome fellow with a suit on, looking sharp. I'm like, hi, my name is Kyle Bateman. He said, yeah, I know, I met you Friday night. I'm the church lady. <laughs> I'm like, whoa, you don't look like the church lady anymore. Ended up giving his life to God. We got him involved for a little bit in the college ministry. Man, I love sinners. Jesus loves sinners. Our church, I love the diversity of the grace plays here. You guys are so diverse. Then you walk in our church on Sunday morning, we got homeless people. We got people that look bad, smell bad, drunks we roll in. Hopefully, when we roll them out, they're a little bit sober. But we're all about reaching the lost, all about doing whatever it takes. And we know we're not there to make them perfect. We're not there to make them look like us or, 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 or do the things that we do or like the things that we like. But I love sinners, and Jesus loves sinners. 
That's the heart of the Father. So we got to quit being so judgmental that we become like big brothers saying, wait a minute, why does he get to get saved? Why does he get to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Why does he get to be a part of the church? Why does he get all these blessings? I've been faithful. I've been at church every Sunday. I tithe, Pastor Mike. I am faithful. You need me, I am there. See, that's the servant mentality. But God wants us to have his heart that while we were yet sinners, while we were yet sinners, Jesus died for us. You don't have to impress God by all your holy ways and all your holy deeds. He loves you because you're his little boy and you're his little girl. And when we bring these kids into phased in, most of them, they say, well, we've got to, we've got to earn your respect. We've got to earn your love. We've got to, no, you don't have to earn anything. We're going to love you for who you are. It's unconditional, the love that we have, the acceptance that we have. And I, the more I get involved in phased in, the more I see the Father's heart. The more I see these kids that have never had a mom and dad. I sat down with one young man who was 21 years old and showed him how to use a hammer. We had one young man, I had to take him in the bathroom and say, here's how you take a shower. Here's how you do it. No one ever taught him. Things we take for granted because we had a mom and a dad that loved us, who had that heart. And when you have kids, especially when you have teenagers, oh, how many of you are grandparents here today? Grandparents, let me tell you something. Grandchildren are God's reward from heaven for not killing your own kids when they were teenagers. Because I've thought about it. I have an 18-year-old and I'm like, oh, Lord, you better take over. But some of these kids, they come and they're all messed up and they fail it, but they got to know we're sticking with them. We're not giving You wouldn't give up on your own kids. There's times you're, a lot of people would have given up, but you still see something in them. We have kids that come to us from phased in. It's an 18-month program. If they need to stay past 18 months and they need us, we're there. If they, we've had kids that have been there six months that have gotten their life together, got a job, got an apartment. They're very successful. Once you're a part of phased in, and you'll hear this on the video, one young man says, even when you leave the program, you're still part of the family. Because that's our heart. That's God's heart is to never let go of us. To always believe in us, even when we fail, even when we mess up, even when we make bad decisions. The Father's heart is not to bail out on us. Some of you have come to church here today and you didn't know if, if you should even come because of what you did this week. Some thoughts you had, some things you did, some compromises that you've made. you got to know something. We all make mistakes. We all mess up. But God would rather have you with all your mistakes than not have you at all. And we got, we got to come home to the Father's heart. It's not just finding his house. It's finding his heart. And when Big Brother saw that party and saw the celebration, he finally knew how much his father not just loved little brother, but how much his father loved him. You know what? I, when I see people get saved at my church, it encourages all the people that have been there for a long time to say, wow, I, I get to see God's grace in action. I get to see God's mercy in action. When we have young men that come to phase in, we don't, we don't tell a lot of people this. We sure don't tell the state people. The state loves us because we've been so successful bringing in students that didn't have anywhere else to go, and we've turned their lives around. We've had over 30 young men that have come through our men's program. We have so many successes that have come from that. The state sends me letters saying, we didn't think there was any hope for this young man, and now they're productive. They've got a job. We got one young man. He crashed twice on us. Once for doing stupid things, and once he just he did something to get kicked out. 
but we brought him back because we had mercy. And we knew that he needed us and we needed him. In a couple of months, he's going to be headed off to the United States Navy. He just got accepted. It was his dream to go in the Navy. And when he first came, they wouldn't have taken him. But now they'll take him because he got his life together. See, it's things like that. See, when, many times we think, God, we've got to, we've got to earn your love. We, no, he loves you for who you are. And that's his heart. We've got to lose that big brother heart of, of judging and criticizing and get the father's heart that loves little brother and big brother. Those of you that have been faithful, this church wouldn't be where it is if it weren't for you being faithful. And you won't get your praise here. You'll get your praise when you get to heaven. Because your, your commitment and your strength and, and your faithfulness, that has built this house. But we also got to celebrate when little brother comes home. How many of you were a little brother at one time? How many of you had to dig away a lot of dirt before you found the treasure? See, sometimes we, we, we look at these people that have come in and say, man, they got a lot to do, they got a lot to go. We had a lot to go. We, we had a lot of mileage on us. We were in the devil's camp and the Lord brought us out. That's the Father's heart is that Jesus still loves sinners. And many of them are just sons and daughters of his that have just wandered that just need to come back home. So today, let's don't just get back to the Father's house. Let's get back to the Father's heart. Number three, and I'm going to close with this. This journey doesn't just lead to the Father's house and the Father's heart. Number three, this journey leads to the Father's hope. The Bible says this, and the hope in which we glory. You know, God could save the sinners of this world any way he wants. He's God. He could snap his fingers. He could speak. He could do whatever. But he chooses you and me to carry out his will. In other words, you want to know who God's hope is? You are God's hope. He puts his hope in you. We are heirs of God, and we are joint heirs with Jesus. So I'm going to say something that somebody may or may not agree with. But I believe that same anointing and that same spirit that God sent Jesus to this earth with, I believe he sent you with that same anointing, that same light in the midst of the darkness, that same hope for the hopeless. We have a lot of sayings that phased in. One of them is that we are called here to protect the unprotected. There, there are kids that come to us that everyone else has given up on. Do you know, I didn't know this till we got into the whole phased-in ministry, and I heard a statistic that absolutely made my jaw drop. Do you know that the world has given up on these kids so much that the prison systems of America base their future inmate population on the number of kids that phase out of foster care? That's how many beds they put in the prison because they figure, forget them, there's no hope. You want to talk about giving up. The world has given up on my kids. But I have not given up on my kids. And you, Grace Place, have not given up on these kids. We still see the hope. When these kids come to us, they are lifeless. Have you ever looked at somebody in their eyes and saw nothing? I've looked at kids that have been abused, that have been neglected, and all they did, the worst crime they committed, was they turned 18. And nobody adopted them. And nobody took them in. Can you imagine what it would be like to grow up in that world where you didn't do anything wrong? We have one young man. He is 18 years old, and he's a sophomore in high school. He has never flunked a class in his life, but he's been transferred all over the state. And a lot of these credits, they don't, they don't go with him. So he has to take classes over and over and over. I can't imagine how frustrated that would, that would make me. But he hasn't given up. Listen, you're the hope. 
if we're going to build this girl's dorm in Wichita Falls, and i got to tell you, this is, this is such a miracle that God spoke to Pastor Mike's heart. Because we had a, we had a, a group from the state come out, and there was a, actually a representative from Washington, D.C. People are hearing about what we're doing. Yesterday we had a group from Buckner Children's Home that want to learn from us, that want to do things the way we're doing. Buckner's been around since the 1800s. We've been around for three years, and they're wanting to learn from us. We had a group from Washington, D.C. come out, and they're looking at the guy's dorm, and they said, you said you're going to build a girl's dorm. Where's that going to be? He said, it's going to be right over there. Well, they're looking at the guy's dorm going, yeah, this is amazing. This is incredible. House parents are awesome. Man, the kids, they seem to be growing, seem to be doing good. But they kept looking over at this empty field. Finally, one of the guys from the state of Texas, he pulls me aside, and he says, listen, it's all great what you're doing with this guy's dorm. But he says, I got 30 girls I could send you tomorrow. They're all over the state. They're in homeless shelters. They're on, their, they're on their boyfriend's couch. We're going to have to build a girl's dorm that's going to be a girl's dorm for babies because many of these girls, within two years after they age out, over half of them are going to be pregnant. I, I spoke at a high school graduation in Abilene, Texas, for kids that were in foster care. There were 17 students there. Eleven of them were girls. Of the 11 girls, seven of the girls were already pregnant, and they haven't even graduated high school yet. Because they have no hope. They, they think, Mom, my body, I, I just got to use it, do whatever I got to do to survive. It's a survival mentality. In closing, I want to I tell you this story. When I first brought this to my board, I brought it to my church board, and I said, Here's, I believe God's given us a vision to adopt the kids who never got adopted. And I told them all the vision of phased in. And I told my board, I said, we're going to come back next Sunday. We're going to vote on this. If we don't vote 100%, we're not going to do it. If one person votes no, that's it. I had eight members on my board. They'd fasted. They'd prayed all week long. The day before, we have a doctor that's on our board of directors, and she was washing dishes with her husband that night. And uh, she said, her husband leans over and says, did you, you've been praying about what Pastor Kyle asked you to pray about, about voting on phased in? And she said, yeah, I have. She said, I'm going to vote no. I'm going to vote against it. And he said, well, why? He said, she said, because I love my pastor, and this is going to kill him. Because he's going to put everything into it. He does not have a second gear like Randy Woods' Mustang. He's going to give it everything he's got, and it's going to kill my pastor. I'm going to vote no. So the next day she goes into her office, and there's a young teenage girl that walks in with her little brother. And there's two, a man and a woman, that walk in to the, her medical practice. And the young teenage girl asks Dr. Walker if she could pull her aside. Dr. Walker says, yeah, honey, what's, what's the matter? She said, I need to talk to you about birth control. Dr. Walker said, birth control? How old are you, sweetheart? She said, well, I'm 16 years old. These are not my real parents. They're my foster parents. And in a year and a half, I'm going to phase out. They're not going to want me anymore. I don't have any job skills. But I've been told that because I'm pretty, I can go to Dallas and I can get a job working in one of these massage parlors. But if I do that, I've got to be on birth control. When Dr. Walker came into our board meeting that night and told us that story with tears flowing out of her eyes, she saw the hopelessness firsthand and she pounded her fist on the table and she said, I vote yes. Let's do this. Let's save these kids. If we can save one of them, if we can give them hope to dream dreams again and not just compromise and not just try to make it, but to realize we're not servants, we're sons, we're daughters. We belong in his house. 
We are going to be close to his heart. And you got to know something. You're his hope. We are his hope. I'm going to ask everyone to bow your heads and close your eyes. Nobody talking, nobody moving around, nobody distracting. You are an amazing church. In just a moment, I'm going to count to three. If you're here today and something the Holy Spirit has spoken to your heart has told you to come to God or to come back to God, in just a moment, I'm going to ask you to raise your hands if you want to make a commitment to come back to the Father's house, to come back to the Father's heart, and to be the Father's hope. Nobody's looking. I'm going to count to three. If you say, Pastor Kyle, I need to give my life to Jesus. I want to know that my name is written in the Lamb's book of life. I want to know that I'm saved. I want to know that I'm a part of the family of God. I want to know that I have a seat at his table. My friends, you can walk out of here not hoping you are saved. You can walk out of here knowing you are saved. The Bible says, these things have I written that you may know you have eternal life. When I count to three, if you're here, I'm going to ask you just to raise your hand. We're not going to call you to the front. We're not going to embarrass you. We just want to pray for you today. Because I believe I wasn't just sent here to tell you about the miracle that we're all going to be a part of. I was sent here today to tell you how awesome you are. That you're not just a servant, you're a son, you're a daughter, you are greatness and you don't even know it. But today, you're going to know it. Every head bowed, I'm going to begin to count down right now. One, this is your moment. This is your day. I always do this. Every chance I get, I don't ever want to speak when I don't give an opportunity for somebody to get saved. Two, we're almost there. We're at the moment of truth. If you're here this morning, you say, Pastor Kyle, I've done things I I shouldn't have done. I've made mistakes, but I know that there's a God in heaven that loves me, that believes in me, that never gives up on me, that I'm still his hope. I'm still his little girl. I'm still his little boy. I'm still the one he died for, and I'm still the one that that, that he lives for and that he is going to save today. We're at two. We've only got one number left. If you're here today and you say, Pastor Kyle, I am ready to give my life to Jesus Christ. I'm ready to give him my past, my present, my future. If that's you, I'm going to ask you to raise your right hand right now. One, two, three. Hold him up. Thank you. Thank you. God bless you. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I see those hands. I'm going to pray a prayer. I'm going to ask everyone with your hands raised. In just a moment, we're all going to pray this prayer out loud. But those with your hands raised, when you pray this prayer, I just want you to mean it with all your heart. Everybody say out loud, Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. But I know you died on the cross to make me a son or a daughter. Today I ask you, Jesus, to come into my heart. Forgive me of all my sins and write my name in the Lamb's book of life. I declare this day I am in you, and you are in me, in Jesus' name. Let's give the Lord a big ovation this morning.